This was recorded live at Trinity Church in San Juan, Puerto Rico. For more information, go to trinitypr.org. Good morning, Trinity. My name is Zach Lutz, Director of Family and Youth Ministries here. I know many of you, but not quite all of you. Welcome. Today, I'd, I'd like to start with a question as we're working our way through the Psalms. And have you ever felt like your story or your experience in the world doesn't quite line up with what Scripture says your story or your experience should sound like? I bet that most of us have an experience like this, where it seems that we're reading through Scripture or we're singing about songs about the way that God is, and yet in our own lives we kind of feel like, I... I don't, I don't know about that. And this sort of dissonance or, or mismatched feeling is not abnormal to the people of God, and we're going to see that today. A man named Asaph was a guy who wrote Psalms, and today he wrote our Psalm 73. And he's going to walk us through how the people of God have responded throughout time to when they have these feelings. When they say, man, this, this doesn't seem to match up. Now, I do want to make this a little clear. Uh, Psalm 73 was written to people who profess faith in God. It was written to comfort and to lead and to guide a community of people. If, if you're not sure where you are with your relationship of God with God, I would invite you to still view this as a peek into how Christians long to deal with their suffering and pain and when they feel those conflicts of their story. I hope that we can all together see what Pastor Ronnie has mentioned before, that the Psalms have an intimate language. They're more intimate than any other ancient religion with their God. And we're going to see that from Asaph today. So if we turn to Psalm 73, this is a Psalm of Asaph. Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. I'm actually, I'm going to stop because I forgot something really quick. Would you please stand with me? (laughs) This is the word of the Lord and the best part of the service, as Ronnie often says, and we'll stand in reverence. Psalm 73, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For they have no pangs until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They are not in trouble as others are. They are not stricken like the rest of mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them as a garment. Their eyes swell out through fatness. Their hearts overflow with follies. They scoff and speak with malice. Loftily, they threaten oppression." They set their mouths against the heavens, and their tongue struts through the earth. Therefore his people turn back to them and find no fault in them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. Always at ease, they increase in riches. And all in vain have I kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. For all the day long, I have been stricken and rebuked every morning. 
If I had said, I will speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I thought how to understand this, it seemed to me a wearisome task. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discerned their end. Truly you set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment, swept away utterly by terrors. Like a dream when one awakes, O Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. And afterward, you will receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And there is nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you shall perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful to you. But for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of all your works. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Please be seated. So I wanted to invite you in, to some sense, to Asaph's expression of his conflicting story. You can see there in verse 1, he starts with this proclamation, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But for the next 13 verses, he spends them in complaint. He says, actually, I don't, I don't know if God is good to those in Israel because it seems that the wicked are the ones who are prospering while the faithful languish. This comes to a head in verse 13 when he says, All in vain have I kept my heart clean. It's showing us that what Asaph is feeling is that his faithfulness is wasted. Maybe the throne is empty. Maybe, maybe God actually isn't there. Maybe he can't actually execute this justice. So, in Asaph's mind, what he was experiencing in his conflicting story, the way that his story was conflicting with the story that God was telling was through jealousy and anger. Jealous of the wicked who had things and were able to engage in activities or, or be the kind of people that maybe he wanted to be deep down inside, but he didn't because of his faithfulness, but they still seemed to be prospering with no sort of punishments or discipline. And then in his faithfulness, he's actually rebuked every morning. Spends 13 verses in complaint. That's almost half of this psalm. I think the first thing that Asaph is teaching us about what to do when our story conflicts with the story that we're reading in Scripture is to tell God. You can tell God without edits. You can charge him with injustice. He can handle it. You can vent to him for 13 verses or half of your prayers. This is God's word. Are you able to communicate to God 
your version of events? Or do you feel the need, as we sometimes do as Christians, to tuck that away and to hide it and to skim over the pain and suffering? I think for this exercise to work, you have to reflect on an area of life that is maybe still a little bit raw or an area of life that you have felt like you needed to do that. For Margaret and I, we have struggled in our marriage with infertility, and about a month and a half ago, we experienced a miscarriage. And if I'm honest, the story that I'm experiencing is not matching the story that God says about himself, about his love for me, about his love for the unborn, about his justice. And so as, as I was reading Psalm 73, I had to ask myself, can I, can I spend half of my prayers communicating that to God? And I think the reason that we don't is because we feel like we might jeopardize our relationship, that, that God is fragile or that our relationship with him is a little bit fragile. And for this illustration, I would invite you to, to remember a time that you were a teenager or if you are one, and this actually works for even younger, but I know that it's applicable at least to teenagers. You probably perceived an injustice done by your parents and turned to them and screamed at them words. And although the perceived injustice may have actually deserved some sort of outbreak, the words themselves were chosen to inflict pain because you wanted the perceived perpetrators of the injustice to feel a little bit of your pain. You know, the strongest relationships aren't the ones that never have disagreements, that never have arguments. Counselors will say that the strongest relationships, even between parents and children, are the ones that experiencing break and repair. They describe it like a muscle that, that needs to tear a little, and then in the repair proce- repairing process, it actually gets stronger. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. We don't do intentional damage to our relationships in order to strengthen them. But yet, in the midst of relationships, given the place that we find ourselves, with sin and brokenness, part of being in a relationship means being able to communicate your version of events. So like I said, one of our inhibitors to communicating or venting to God is that we think the relationship will be damaged. And I think usually that shows up in two ways for Christians. I think usually it it might show up in us hiding it away and glossing over our pain and suffering and just being like, but God will make it all right. So it's, it's, you know, it's in the past. I'm just, I'm not going to think about it. I'm going to block it out. Our other response is if we actually vent to God, we feel like the relationship's been ruptured enough that coming to church actually feels a little bit duplicitous. Um, It it feels like we're saying one thing with our actions that isn't true with our heart. Asaph felt very similarly. In verses 16 and 17, 
He says, when I thought how to understand this, this injustice that I perceive done from God, it seemed to me a wearisome task until I went into the sanctuary of God. On the face of it, this is kind of hard to hear. There's a preacher up here telling you that when your story doesn't seem to line up and after you've vented with God and you don't feel like going to church, that you should go to church. And yet, Asaph believes, and the people of God have believed throughout time, and we here at Trinity Church believe that God has promised to meet us here in corporate worship in a special way. That there's actually a formation of our souls that happens in our ability to be in the household of God. When Margaret and I were wearied with making sense of our miscarriage, we needed you. We needed Ronnie and Jeff and Natalia and Orlando, and we needed all of our musicians and all of your voices singing to us the truths of Scripture that we couldn't bear to sing. One of the songs that we sang that Sunday was, We Will Feast in the House of Zion. We will feast and weep no more. And I'll tell you, even though social distancing had separated us, Margaret and I were weeping. The song didn't have the truth that it was intended to have with us. And yet, having it in some sense sung over us by you all formed us. It reminded us something true about God and that there's other people and we can see them now and we might know a little bit about their stories and we know a little bit about their own suffering and their own story and how it doesn't line up with God's story exactly, and they're still here singing it. I hope that you understand what this means. It means that sometimes you don't feel like coming to church. And you still go because God is faithful. It means that there are some songs you can't muster the courage to sing. It means that in the church there is space for complaint and expressing your story, even if it's not 100% theologically accurate or astute or polished. But it also means that Sometimes you're here in church and you're singing songs and it's just not connecting with you that day. And the sermon is just kind of distant. There's nothing you're like bringing into the service. You're just here and you're like, well, I'm faithfully attending. Well, part of the community of God actually intends that those who are showing up next to you and who might know a little bit about you and your story to see you faithfully singing Faithfully attending to the Word of God, faithfully praying, forms them too. I hope that Trinity can be a place where these kinds of spaces exist. 
where spaces exist for your story and your dissonance to be expressed, but also for you to find comfort. And it's not instantaneous. And Trinity is not perfect by any means. We're a bunch of sinners in here. <laughs> but God and Asaph is telling us in his, in his word here that part of our process when our stories don't line up is to actually tell God how you feel and to go to church. Now, I think if we were to reflect a little on going to church and inventing and, and finding comfort in songs and through the community of believers that, that we have there, we're like, well, this is all great, but will I ever experience peace? Like, what, what peace or what rest can there be for the businessman whose business is failing because he is operating by ethical standards while his competitors, using unethical standards, are forcing him out of the market. He's having to lay people off. Where's the rest there? Where's the rest for the student who is continually excluded for her compassion towards others, bullied, neglected, left alone? When it still happens day after day, what rest can there be for parents who have just lost a child? Asaph's rest is seen in two ways, and I invite you to to look with me at verse 22, actually starting in 21. When my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant. I was like a beast towards you. So what we see Asaph doing is actually confessing sin. I think that's, it was a little difficult for me to be like, okay, so now I need to confess sin. I was like, for some reason, like I deserved this, but that's not what Asaph is saying. He's not saying that he deserved the injustice, but he is saying that his recounting of events was, was missing a piece. It says, truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. And he recognizes, actually, I wasn't all that pure in heart. It doesn't mean that I deserved the injustice, but I do recognize that I'm not who I should be and that I treated you poorly. And to think of confession of sin as actually a place to rest, I hope can be a freeing thing for you. That you find that your relationship with God is strong enough that you're, you're able to say to him, I'm still angry, I'm still hurt, I'm still jealous, and yet I recognize that this relationship with you I've done some damage to. The second thing that we see Asaph do as part of rest, or where he exhibits rest, you might say, is the very last line of the psalm, very end of verse 28, that I may tell of all your works. I 
God is indeed our refuge, and we can actually use some of our stories of deepest hurt and deepest sorrow to tell a story. So when our, our experience isn't aligning with what God says to be true, we do vent. We communicate with God as a, as a person because that's who he says that he is. We go to church and we're told again who he is. And part of that formation and confession process actually allows us to get a glimpse of how our story fits into his story. That there wasn't as much conflict as we once believed, even if there's still very much pain. Now, some of you might be hearing when I say that, that your story is worth sacrificing for God's greater story, and that's, that's not what I'm saying, because when you look at God's greater story, you understand what he's actually sacrificing to reconcile it. God sends his own son, the only one who was pure in heart, the only one who was innocent, to be murdered. To die, to descend into hell, and to resurrect. And God would subject himself to this kind of suffering and experience in his own story because of how much he cares for your story. Because through Jesus' death and resurrection, Jesus actually says, I will wipe away every tear. I am making all things new. The dead will indeed rise. When we sing, heal us, Emmanuel, that's what he did. Not just when he was on earth 2,000 years ago. It's what he's doing now and what he will continue to do in the future until all pain is washed away. When we feel that our stories are not matching God's story, we remember that he suffered beyond our wildest imagination in order that he might rescue our little stories. That he might say, well done, my good and faithful servant. That he might make us whole. Would you pray with me? Our Father in heaven, we have some hurts that run deep. We have some misgivings about the way that you operate in the world that show up in our lives time and time and time again. I would ask, Lord, that you might give us the confidence to tell you our version of events, that we might have a strong relationship with you through our honest communication with you. Father, I ask that Trinity Church and whatever churches we find ourselves in the future might be places 
where your spirit works to heal our wounds and also encourage us in faithfulness to heal others. But finally, Lord, we do ask, and I ask for all in this room and all who are tuning in online, that we might find rest. That we might know a semblance of peace and being made whole. That you might comfort us. That you might allow us to see our story in light of your story. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.